All right, guys. So today I'm joined by a former elite hockey athlete, an outstanding coach, and a great colleague of mine, Rebecca Freiberger. Thank you for having me, Coach Dave. The crowd goes wild. The crowd goes wild. So I wanted to have you on, and I wanted to pick your brain uh, while we were catching up a little bit before this recording. It's obviously great to catch up with you. Um, I wanted to go over, I guess, how things are going in grad school. Well, I wanted to backtrack a little bit. Um, for people that listen that haven't met you or got an introduction to you, I was hoping you could give a brief background of your collegiate uh, career in studies and then what you're on to and studying um, currently, if you don't mind sharing that. Of course. Yeah. So as Coach Dave mentioned, um, I played hockey at Ohio State for four years. So that's kind of what brought me to Ohio. I'm originally from Minnesota. But I interned at Donskoff Strength and Conditioning uh, the summer after my sophomore year. And again, I was there this summer as part of their full-time staff. So that's how Coach Dave and I know each other. And we have a lot of coaching experience there together as well. But graduated from Ohio State in May with a degree in exercise science. And I'm currently a graduate student at the University of Pittsburgh studying sports science. Awesome. Well summed up, brief, succinct, and to the point. Um, so I, one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about, obviously your time uh, as an intern at DSE and then your time as a coach are vastly different. I wanted to pick your brain, if you don't mind sharing, uh, what was different for you about either of those experiences, whether it be what were your take-home points from the internship process? What were your take-home points um, through your actual employment there? Um, just comparing and contrasting, I guess, what your different experiences were like at the same place. Yeah, definitely. So as an intern, I think for me, it was one of my, it was basically my first role, so to say, in the strength and conditioning realm. So a lot of being an intern for me was doing what I was told and doing it well and learning as I was going. So I think it was a bit more of absorbing information and doing what was needed for me. Whereas once I was in a more full-time coaching role, it was a bit more about taking what I'd learned in the past and implementing that more and developing those stronger relationships with the clientele athletes and kind of working with them, using the knowledge I had to better them in a more personal way. I think was one, a couple of the biggest differences for me. Um, as a coach, full-time coach, you, I think you have more responsibilities and expectations especially. So just rising to those expectations and being a better coach because of my intern, internship experience was kind of some of the biggest differences that I felt overall. So to play devil's advocate, then, what do you think some of the expectations are of you as a coach? Not just at the gym that we work together at, but anywhere. What do you think a client expects from a coach, whether that's an athlete or an adult client? What do you think um, are a fair set of expectations to bring to the table as a client? Yeah, I definitely think – I think it's twofold. I think, first of all, they have to know that you care and that you're not just there to, you know – put them through their workout and walk out the door at the end of the day. So showing them that you care and that you want what's best for them, I think is a reasonable expectation for anyone to have a coach that's working with them. But secondly, I think they should have the expectation that their coach 
knows what they're talking about, that they've done their research, that they've, you know, asked your client about their goals and that they've implemented those into the program that they're trying to give to you. So combining those two elements, showing that you care and creating a personalized program that's aimed at, you know, achieving the goals that the client wants, I think are pretty much two expectations that any coach should be able to fulfill. I think it's well said. Who is a coach, if you don't mind sharing, who is a coach that has impacted you the most throughout your lengthy career as an athlete? That's that's a tough question. Um, Supposed to be, Bergs. Supposed to be. Yeah. So do you mean strength or any coach in general? Any coach in general. It could be uh, uh, one skills coach and one strength coach. It could be just a a skills coach. Whoever you got in mind, I guess – who were they to you and what made them stand out in your mind as an excellent coach? Oh, that's tough. I mean, obviously growing up playing hockey, soccer, different things like that, I've had a ton of different coaches. Um, and even within my college career, I had the same head coach for four years, but all the other um, positions, assistant coach strength coach different things like that there is all a decent amount of turnover people moving out different careers different things like that so I when I think of a good coach I actually think back to my high school soccer coach which is actually kind of wild um she was almost like a mom to the team you know she just had this commanding respect about her but you first of all knew that she cared about you and wanted what was best and I think that created this expectation and standard that every single athlete wanted to live up to. She, there's no worse feeling than disappointing, um, disappointing that coach. You know, it's like, if you did something wrong, you felt terrible, honestly, you know, you just like, it was like when you disappoint your mom, it was kind of the same way. It was just like guilty feeling. And not only did she know her soccer, but like I said, she had that commanding presence and just demanded ex- high expectations from every single person. And expectations were, you know, personalized to an extent because she took the time to get to know you and she knew what you were personally capable of. But I don't know, just that combination of that presence and how everyone truly bought into what she did just because of the type of person she was was pretty neat to see. Hmm. Do you have any other coaches that you looked up to throughout your career? Um, I think my college coach as well. Um, she the head coach. Yeah, head head college coach at Ohio State, Nadine Muzzarell. Um, she was <laughs> she's absolutely extremely competitive, and she would go above and beyond for every single athlete. And it's just, she was kind of a workaholic, I would say, you know, she put so much effort into the program. um, And it's truly turned around in the four years that I was there. And I just have a lot of respect for the amount of dedication she put into the program, but also into each athlete, you know, coming in, she had no idea who I was, but she was able to buy into me as a person to trust me and different things like that. And you know, put the effort into each and every person on the team to make them a better player. So a lot of respect for her dedication to our program. Solid answers. 
what do you think are let's assume that people listening to this are starting in the coaching realm or thinking about getting into training or coaching you gave i think two really good examples of um of of coaches that were stern potentially and i don't want to put words in your mouth correct me if i'm wrong but stern had high expectations but it was rooted in a, a deep sense of caring for everyone on that team what do you think are certain things that um coaches can do or aspiring coaches can do to hone that skill set yeah that's a really good question i think that is something that takes time and experience as well because each athlete that you work with is going to have a different personality different goals different aspirations things like that so before you get into you know honing that skill set as you just alluded to I think you have to take the time and effort to get to know your athlete what they need how you're supposed to push them different things like that what inspires them to reach that peak level and I think you have to combine that with your unique coaching style yourself. I think there's a little bit of give and take from each side in that relationship to kind of create the ultimate blend that's going to move that athlete to their peak potential. But as a coach, I think you need to stay firm to your values and how you coach. But I think there are certain ways you need to tweak your style to, you know, align with them so you can create you know, just that peak is what's kind of what I alluded to. Yeah. I like your point about sticking to your values. How does one define their values? Ooh, I feel like I'm playing Jeopardy at DSC here. I love it. <laughs> There's no right or wrong answer. You, I think you're throwing out good answers, but I, I like really tangible advice. And I think the points that you make while they're good are a bit, um, intangible and that's okay because i mean they're they're supposed to be you're talking about kind of deep deep concepts um that shape people's um athletic careers uh, that shape their professional careers and everybody's different in how they they you know bedrock that or how they lay the foundation of that but when you say you got to stick to your values what do you say to a new coach that's coming up that just has their certification, hasn't worked with a client yet, hasn't worked with an athlete yet, and they don't know, I mean, they know what values are, but they don't know how to find that or how to set that foundation. They don't know where that beginning step begins. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I got you. Um, I'm thinking for me, when I was establishing my values, I kind of had to take a look at myself in the mirror and evaluate, you know, when I'm going out there coaching every day or just even living my everyday life, like what is defining my decision-making, the way I go about doing things, the way I live my life. I kind of had to look at those and maybe think of a couple key words or so that aligned with the way I was living my life. You know, obviously you don't want to just create values that sound good to kind of please the people around you when they ask, you know, because it's going to be really easy to call you out when you say you're a hard worker and then you are slacking. Yeah. You're slacking in your everyday life or you're slacking in an aspect of your life. And you know, it's really easy to see through that. So I think kind of, as I stated, you know, how you live your life, but also, I don't know, just how you interact with people, you know, they all kind of create this persona about you, but 
putting words to it is easier said than done, you know? So just kind of evaluating that over time, it's not just going to come overnight and just really taking a deeper look into who you are as a person and as a coach. I think you mentioned something interesting, introspection. It starts with, you said, taking a look at uh, who you are, how you communicate, what you do, what you bring to the table and what guides your decisions. Introspection's hard though, birds. It's so hard and people don't want to do it and it's not fun and it's not pretty and it might not paint us in the best light. I don't know if you know this, but social media has cast this uh, film over everything to where it's just, it's all gloss and it's all, it's all a great life. Every day is a vacation. It's so hard to sit down and do that, Bergs. And yes, that was supposed to sound sarcastic. I think it's spot on. You're right. You do have, you do have to dig and you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable, but that can be terrifying to a lot of people. I think regardless of the profession they're in. Completely agree. I mean, like you said, it's (laughs) being uncomfortable or being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Sorry. You got that backwards for a second, but I think you have to decide if that's something that's important to you. You know, I think there's an expression that you'll make time for the things that are important, something along those lines. I'm probably messing that up, but that's true. Defining who you are and who you are as a coach as a person is something that matters to you and you think is going to make a difference in your life I think you'll find some time maybe a little bit every day to kind of reflect on who you are as a person how you live your life and kind of align those values you know like I said you gotta push yourself out of that comfort zone to get there but if that that's important to you I think you'll be able to find the time to do it that brings up a really good point. I wanted to ask you if you if you if if it matters to you, you'll find time for it. My question is, what drives and motivates you, birds? I know you're competitive. I've seen you compete. Mm-hmm. What drives you? What what gets you? How do you stay focused and on track in an industry that is full of um, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Of detours and curved roads and obstacles what i guess a what drives you if you're comfortable sharing that and b how do you center on that how do you come back to that in an industry uh for those that don't know strength and conditioning is at least a uh it's a 25 8 instead of 24 7 you're 25 8 if the sun's up you're in the gym and you're working long hours of the day and it's a grind that's hard to stay energized about for a lot of people I mean, we all, we all fall back on, I love what I do. I embrace the grind. I embrace the suck. I work hard. I'm okay with it. Stay on the grind. Never give up. Hashtag don't quit. Right. Okay. But how do you find something that drives you constantly or keeps you motivated or keeps you hungry? What, what drives you? Whether that's competitively, whether that's in the industry, whether that's in your scholarly endeavors, what I guess keeps you, keeps fuel in your tank? Yeah, so I think as an athlete, I can kind of relate to this because it relates to me as a person. I believe as an athlete, I was always motivated by wanting to be the best at what I do or being the best version of myself, more to say. You know, there was a point where I realized, you know, I'm never going to be the best player on my team, but I am going to be the one that works the hardest. So being the best version of myself, being accountable was kind of what drove me as an athlete. But leading into more of a coaching role, and now that I am obviously a retired athlete, I think my what 
drives me in the strength and conditioning especially has changed a little bit. I think it's changed from, you know, obviously my own results, my own success, but seeing my hard work and accountability relate to someone else's success is kind of what's driving me now. You know, if I can work really hard at being the best coach and I can see that that's making a small impact in one of the athletes that I'm working with, that's kind of what drives me, you know, after the end of a, I don't know, like a 13 hour day, if I've made a difference in an athlete, they've gotten better at something at the gym, you know, soccer team gets a win, you know, and I feel like I've played a part of that. It's kind of what all makes it worth it for me. Yeah, that is, um, it is big when you see your athletes accomplish something, you know, and I was just having this talk the other day with a coach we both know, and it was about the collective coaches that come together for an athlete. If you think about um, like an elite hockey athlete or an elite uh, mixed martial artist, there are so many people on that team to get that person prepared, right? And the same is true, I think, of college athletics. You know, you have your PT, you have your AT, you have your nutritionist, you have your strength and conditioning guy, you have your skills coaches, and um, I, I looked at the coach that we both know, and I go, how important do you think we are? And, you know, Coach Blood, oh, we're, we're super important. We're real important. And I was like, okay, how so? And it's just interesting that so many things come into play into, in the realm of strength and conditioning. We play, I think, in my opinion, a very small part, a significant part, but a very small part. Um, but it is roaring to see your athlete either achieve something in the weight room that you help directly help them to achieve or um, passively help them to achieve. And you know that something in strength and conditioning contributed to that, to that success. That is a big win for sure. So next question I got for you, you said the term quote, trying to be the best coach quote, quote, that you can be. We talked a little bit about coaches that you looked up to, what are your metrics for checking in with yourself about how you're hitting the mark? And you don't have to say if you do or don't hit them. It doesn't have to be that, that, that personal if you don't want it to be. But if you look at your coaching rubric at the end of a session and you go, I did this, I did that, could have done better here, but I did that really well. What are the items that you bucket and that you carve out for a standard that you hold yourself to as a coach? Got you. Yeah, that's really tough. And I think it's a great thing to bring up. And I think it's something that every coach should have that framework rubric that they can evaluate themselves on. I think it goes back to that um, being comfortable, being uncomfortable thing. You know, it has to be one of those things that you value enough that you're going to take the time to do that for yourself. And I think <laughs> you're kind of calling me out a little bit. I think I'm still edging that out here at Pitt, especially. But we all are, Bergs. We all are. I, I know at Donscoff, we always, you know, as a coach, we discuss, you know, cueing your athletes, um, making a connection with them, different things like that. And I think I can relate to that a bit as a coach. I know I, I can feel when I'm being a good coach or when I'm kind of just playing a sideline role, role. And I think it's a lot easier to kind of certain days if you're feeling tired down just to slide into that sideline role. But um, uh, circling back around to the question that you asked, you know, for me, 
when I feel like I'm being a good coach, I'm, you know, I'm paying attention to little details. I'm dialed into what the coach is doing or not, excuse me, not the coach, what the athletes are doing. And I'm just, I'm, I'm there. I'm paying attention. I think another thing that goes into that for me is being connected with that athlete on the particular day. I know how they're feeling going into the workout. I can have, I don't want to say have an awareness, but I should be able to notice how they're doing during the workout because I'm there, I'm paying attention, different things like that. And I think um, being, for me, being informed going in about the workout, why, why we're doing what we're doing during the workout. So a combination of those three factors being dialed in, talking with the athlete and having a knowledge or an understanding of why we're doing this program and how it's going to help the athlete are three things as a coach that when I'm dialed in, I'm there, I'm being a good coach. All three of those factors are interplaying and the athlete should notice that. And I should notice that as well. I think those are the three things that are on my rubric right now, but obviously the rubric's growing, changing as my position and different roles in the past have changed as well. Yeah. I mean, it's important to have an ever evolving checklist. It's, as you evolve and grow and change, I think so too will that rubric, which is perfectly how I think it ought to be. I mean, everybody's rubric is changing every day. They realize certain things are important during coaching sessions and certain things are not as important, you know? Um, You mentioned, I don't have necessarily a question, but you mentioned a really interesting point about some days, you know, you might find yourself in a, uh, a sideline role or a more passive role and you might kind of catch yourself doing that. I think I know I've had days like that. I know other coaches have had days like that. And it's, it is interesting. You bring up a really really good point that when it's on, you feel that switch, you feel that energy just in you that that's burning clean and you're, you're lit up and you're ready and you're dialed in, you're focused, you're in touch, you know, what's going on. Your cues are getting across, everything's landing. And then you have those other days where it's like, Oh man. You know, you know how to do a squat. Come on. You you know how to deadlift. You got, come on, you got this. Like, how do you shift gears and go from being dialed in, being in touch, being alert and aware, checking all the boxes on your rubric? How do you go from either call it mental fatigue um, maybe your mind's working elsewhere. It could be a different job or it could be schoolwork, something that has you stressed, something that has you dialed back a little bit from the weight room. How do you get that switch to turn back on consciously? Yeah, that that's really tough. And I think it's something that I'm still working on as a coach and a person. I think there's a couple different ways you could go about doing it. And depending on the day, which switch you go to, to kind of flip it, it's going to play little John really loudly, right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um I, like I said I think there's a couple things I think prior to even going into your job you can take a couple seconds to kind of reflect to kind of get yourself in the right mindset um easier said than done if you're going into the gym at five in the morning or something like that the last thing you probably want to do is take a couple minutes and think about where you're going what you're doing the why different things like that Maybe that's 4.30 in the morning. I can admit to that. 
I <laughs> would not want to be doing that at that time. I think that's one way to go about it. I think another way to kind of flip that switch is whether the it's an athlete or another coach, but just if they can, you notice that they are being affected by your energy, so to say, I think that's kind of a wake up call, a slap to the face, so to say that, you know, like, okay, like I'm not being the best version of myself and it's impacting, it's reflecting on other people. Like I got to step my game up, you know, like I'm being an energy vampire here today. So just seeing that impact that's having, obviously hope it doesn't get to that point, but you know, seeing that manifest itself is kind of a very good indicator that like, okay, I need to flip that switch. I need to change how I'm acting today. I think the last point that kind of comes up with that is that it's important to be able to separate, you know, like your stressors from your coaching and everything that's going on in your life. I think as a coach, if you're worried about homework, personal things while you're trying to coach you're not going to be able to be the best version of your uh, of yourself and as a coach that day so being able to separate those factors and kind of focus solely in on your coaching you know being grateful for the opportunity that you have to be a coach and kind of flipping off the other stressors while you're coaching I think is going to be not only good for yourself and your personal health but it's going to impact you as a coach as well yeah I don't remember where I heard it but there's this really good saying, um, and it's that your 7 a.m. client doesn't care about your 6 a.m. session, and your 7 p.m. client doesn't care about your 6 p.m. session or your 5 p.m. session. Uh, and I try to keep that in mind anytime I go in to coach, because um, it's it's true, right? To to you, it might be your third, fourth, fifth group of the day, but to them, it is their first session with you that day, potentially of that week. It's their first time seeing you, but it's your fifth or sixth session that day you know the toll that puts on you you know the stress that puts on you um but they don't not only do they not deserve any of that stress but they don't know any of that stress you know what i mean um and so you think about social dynamics and social interaction and it's really interesting because if you're at work right and you've had a stressful day everybody else has also had a stressful day and when you guys interact you're very aware of each other's situation because you're both in that same uh same boat of just a a grind and a tough day and a a rough one all around. But then when you look at coaching dynamics, right? Like I said, you're just overwhelmed potentially by the day or run down by the day, I should say. Then the client comes in not ready or teed up with that in their mind that you've been in here, you know, the past eight hours coaching. Um, And and they don't care. They don't, they, they shouldn't have to care. You know what I mean? It's, it's an interesting dynamic to bring that a game to be, to switch it back on and ramp back up for that, that next hour, 90 minutes, whatever it is that you have with them, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think I really liked your point about, you know, they don't care about your previous session. You know, they care about what you're bringing to the table for them. And if you're dragging, yeah, if you're dragging your, I don't want to say baggage, but if you're dragging your baggage from a previous session into your next one, I don't think you're going to get the most out of your athlete and they're not going to get the best version of the coach. So just being able, again, way easier said than done, but being able to separate your stressors from your, you know, living in the present, so to say, I think is really tough, but I think it's really important for any type of coach or even just in your personal life, you know, being able to separate what's important now versus something that can be worried about later or dealt with later. 
it's going to make you be the best version of yourself and as a coach in that particular moment. True. I think I have just one more question, one and a half technically. Um, so you and I have worked with athletes as young as like 10 or 11 and you and I have worked with athletes that are 22, 23, 24 now. What are your thoughts, advice, or tips on different communication strategies with clients of different age levels and different training ages? So if you think about some of the groups you and I worked with, right, you get guys that have never stepped in a weight room. And then if you look at, you know, the college um, athletes that you're working with now that might be super movers, some might not be, I don't know, but you look at coaching a college guy versus, or girl, versus, you know, Tommy Tutos that's never been in a gym. What do you do differently with those sessions? Same program to them. How are you coaching it different? Gotcha. Yeah, I think after you get to know the athlete a bit, a bit, it'll change a bit more. But I think first thing that comes to mind is younger athletes. It's teaching fundamentals using external cues. You know, they're not going to know a lot about, you know, like anterior pelvic tilt yeah, and different things like that. You know, I want to say word vomit, but sort of say the ex fizz of everything that they're not going to know or truly care about they, you know, yeah. a lot of the time you get a guy that's never been in the gym before. In most cases, mom or dad sign them up and they're there, you know, yeah. they probably don't even know why they're there. They probably think might not want to be there either. There's a lot of different factors, but they probably think, okay, like I'm going to be a better athlete because of this is probably yeah. what their parents told them. So when you're coaching them, coaching the fundamentals, external cues, but also being able to explain to them in, you know, dumbed down words, this squat pattern is going to help you be a better athlete because it's going to X, Y, Z your game, you know, but being able to explain that in a way that makes sense to them and makes them want to do the exercises, you know, truly an art, I think. Oh yeah. Um, and something that's easier said than done, but over time being able to explain that to an athlete, getting them to buy into that squat pattern that they've never done in their life, I think is really important with younger athletes. I think once you get up to, excuse me, to the college level a bit more, um, I think you can, use a little bit more of those internal cues because they are a little bit like dumbbells to their sternum, <laughs> different things like that. But, um, I think they're a little bit more aware of their bodies at that point, right. or at least I would hope so. <laughs> not, oh, yeah. not in all cases. Um, but I think you can be, if the athlete cares to know, I think you can be a lot more in depth about X phys or like, you know, this, uh, snatching pattern is going to create power that's going to translate into whatever movement the athlete is doing. You know, you can be a bit more descriptive and thorough with that. But I think with a college athlete, as opposed to a, you know, young Tommy that got signed up by their parents, I think their motivations are going to be a bit different. Yeah, that's so, so true. Yeah, I think with a college athlete, they should be a bit more you know like self-driven as opposed to when you're coaching uh young tommy you might need to be a bit more rah-rah you know bringing that motivation for them whereas a college athlete they might need to be pushed every once in a while 
but if they're not capable of bringing their you know if they, they don't want to work hard different things like that if they don't show up you can't make them yeah I think it's a little bit less on you as a coach you can help but at the end of the day like you know that's them that's their decision so finding those different balances and uh I don't want to say personalities because you shouldn't change your personality as a coach, but I think there's levers. You have to be adaptable though. Yeah. There's levers and dials that you should turn up and turn down based on different levels of athletes and who you're working with, what their goals are and kind of that's going to create the coaching style that you should try to implement when working with them. Yeah. I think that's well said. Um, the last thing i was going to talk to you about but the more i thought about it the more i realized it might be kind of a, a moot point but love to get your thoughts on it still i was going to ask you about continued ed and what you're doing now now i realize that you are in a, a graduate program so that takes up a majority of your continued ed um so i'll tee it up this way outside of the classroom what are resources or uh different accounts that you follow for good coaching information or books that you're diving into what do you do outside of school and if it's nothing i mean that's that's fine you're in a graduate program it takes up time i understand yeah definitely i mean i do think i could be better in that area i think i get sometimes complacent with you know being in school with my internship program kind of just asking questions to the coaching staff there and using that as quote my continued ed i think I do need to dive a bit more into just different sources outside of where I'm currently at. Right. But I think too, as you said, there's a lot of, I don't want to say garbage, but like with social media, different things like that. I think there's a lot of things that you could get accidentally get caught up following that maybe aren't scientifically based or just not relevant to what you're trying to accomplish. Yep. So be making sure as I, hopefully we'll dive into continuing at a bit more is being picky about maybe some of the sources I am choosing to follow to read, to make sure that they're relevant and that they're going to help me be a better coach. Maybe not just create attention for myself, you know? So. I think it's important to stay up on some of the, the garbage as you accurately put it, that's out there because undoubtedly you will have athletes as have I, that will see that garbage and bring it to you as a credible source of training. And you'll know as well as I, that that's not training. That's, that's flexing for a video or flexing for a picture. And it looks cool. And that person might be shredded, but that is not elite performance. That is not preparing you for your sport. That is not sensible training practices, you know? Um, but again, you, you're in a graduate program. I'm sure it takes up most of, if not all of your time on top of coaching and on top of, I hope a social life. <laughs> so, <you> know. <laughs> it's understandable if there's, you know, not a whole lot of things outside of the classroom. Um, I mean, you're getting very real life experience in the weight room and then very, uh, you know, formal experience in the classroom. And that's, you, you couldn't ask for a more well-rounded education from, you know, real world and, and theoretical. So it's all good stuff. It's good. It's amazing. You know, I like your point about, staying up on the garbage too. I mean, I think if an athlete were to come up to you and ask, Oh, look at this video. Like, why aren't I doing that here? Like that's going to make me super good at X, Y, Z sport or whatever they're trying to do. I think it's important for you to be able to deflect that. So to say, it'd be like, 
well, that isn't going to help you for this reason, or what we are doing in the gym is going to help you for this reason, or it's going to accomplish the same thing that they're explaining that it's going to do in that video, you know, different things like that. So being able to justify why you aren't using that method and why you are using what you are in the weight room or what you have programmed for them, I think is it's going to make you a better coach, but also create that athlete's trust in you that we kind of talked about at the beginning, knowing that you do want what's best for them and you do have a reason for what you're doing. And it is so easy to get caught off guard by questions when you see things like that on social media, you know, and, and you kind of have to pause for a second. And I think it's important that athletes do this on their own, but it's our job as coaches, right. To help steer them in the more um, educated practices of strength and conditioning. I think it's okay to say, um, but I try to get athletes to and clients to see what other people do, to see those posts, to see what people are doing at the you know, gym down the street and think critically and ask themselves, what does that person believe they're getting out of that exercise? Because nobody does something incorrectly with the knowledge of doing something incorrectly. They wouldn't do it if they knew that, you know? Um, so there's got to be something that they're doing that they think is correct or they don't know that it is incorrect. Um, so I, I, I try to tell all the athletes that, you know, I get to, I'm fortunate to work with that it's important before you judge, before you try, before you shame it, before you, you know, put it on a pedestal, it's important that you critically think about what's at play, um, you know, in those positions and in those movement patterns. Cause I think the more athletes do that, the quicker we as coaches can have that conversation with them about, you know, if they say, Hey, look at this, um, single arm overhead barbell snatch. Isn't that, isn't that cool? And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. It, sure. What, why, what, what do you like about this exercise, Timmy? And then he tells you, and you can say, well, if, if you look at the program, we are training power. We are training unilateral strength. We are training, um, you know, transfer of force through the spine and force absorption. We're doing all of these things that you just said to me are important to you from this exercise. So would that, does that answer your question? Are you happy with the program you have? Oh yeah, no, I just thought it was, I thought it was a cool move, coach. You're like, great, same. Doesn't, it's not gonna be in your program. Glad we're on the same page. Have a good one. You know, like, I think it's important that they bring that to the table of what they see, what they like, what they dislike, what they understand, you know? No, couldn't agree, couldn't agree more with that. And that's definitely something I've learned from working with you at Don Scoff is kind of to have those tools in your two, toolbox and just being able to think critically about exercises like that the why we do it you know and factoring that into how we answer questions like that and not only how we answer questions like that but how we implement our own programs and how we coach so yeah. appreciate um all those knowledge knowledge bombs that so to say that you've dropped on me over two two summers we've had working together oh they're they're entirely cooperative i can take no credit it was your hard work that got us to those uh conclusions but um, I don't have anything else by way of questions queued up. Do you have anything you wanted to end with or ask or close with anything specifically? Oh, uh, I guess not necessarily. You know, I, again, appreciate you having me on here. It's been great to catch up and absolutely. looks like if you need some friends, fitness merchandise, it's, you know, it's going to be on the market. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll work on getting our merch up to uh, up to date here on francefitness.com we'll we'll work on getting that that stocked but uh well i appreciate you being on uh it's always great to catch up with you and i appreciate 
um, talking about the field, the industry, um, and, you know, how to navigate some of these situations that for most might be uh, tricky. But uh, I'll talk to you next time. Uh, anything you want to leave the audience with, the listeners with? Are we all good? You can say if you got something. We're all good. <laughs> all right. Cool. Well, we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you for listening to this episode.